Hey there, I'm Lanika Little, Impact Alpha's social media strategist. Thanks for listening. Impact Briefing is a quick snapshot of this week's stories from Impact Alpha, the leading impact investing daily. And there's much more, deal flow, job postings, and a morning email brief to keep you in the know. For you, our loyal podcast listener, take half off when you use the code briefing50 at impactalpha.com slash subscribe. Now enjoy the show. From the virtual newsroom of Impact Alpha, this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, June 12th. I'm Brian Walsh. I want to thank Monique Aiken for hosting last week's powerful conversation. Today, Impact Alpha's Amy Cortez speaks with Philip Reeves and Todd Leverett about employee ownership as a way to help close the racial wealth gap. And Dennis Price will profile this week's Agent of Impact, Helen Adeason of Care Academy. Hey, Dennis. Hi, Brian. Good to be back. But first, here's what you need to know from this week in Impact Investing. Keisha Cash's Impact America Fund led a $9.5 million investment in Care Academy, which helps home health workers advance in their careers and increase their incomes. More on Care Academy in a moment. Also this week, the MacArthur Foundation announced it is investing in Impact America's second fund. Meanwhile, Ford, MacArthur, Kellogg, and other foundations plan to issue long-term bonds in order to maintain or even increase their grant-making to nonprofits during the expected continued economic downturn. Typically, foundations cut back on their grant-making as their endowments lose value. In particular, the Ford Foundation is preparing to raise $1 billion through a combination of 30- and 50-year bonds, which they're calling social bonds. The Prime Impact Fund led a $3 million round in clean crop, which has a chemical-free way to kill mold and toxins on crops, such as peanuts. Prime, an early-stage climate investor, said reducing food waste can significantly cut carbon emissions. And finally, SoftBank created a $100 million fund for entrepreneurs of color. Andreessen Horowitz, the big venture capital firm, spun up a donor-advised fund for diverse entrepreneurs, which they're calling an accelerator for the unseen, and a new fund, Collab Capital, launched to provide funding and business support to help early-stage Black-owned startups hit revenue targets while retaining control of their companies. The economic fallout from COVID threatens to exacerbate the racial wealth gap in America. Impact Alpha's Amy Cortez caught up with Philip Reeves and Todd Leverett of APIS and Heritage Capital and the Democracy at Work Institute to hear about some of the solutions that they're putting into practice. Hi, Todd. Hi, Phil. Thanks for being here. Um, You wrote this week about the importance of employee ownership in the transition to a just economy, in particular for workforces of color. Can you set up the context for us a little? Why is that so important, especially in the wake of COVID and now the murder of George Floyd? Thanks for the question, Amy. This is this is Todd. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's much of a, a secret that if you look at the economy generally, if you look at look at workers in the American economy generally, they've been facing decades and decades of stagnating wages, of decreasing wealth, and of um, less and less economic security. So that's kind of the, the big macro picture. But um, as with a lot of issues in this country, when you zoom in on Black communities specifically, Latinx communities specifically, and, and communities of color generally, you see all those, the numbers and the statistics surrounding that just get so much worse. 
specifically as it relates to COVID, COVID is, is one of those situations where it's just going to make it's just going to make it worse. We look at some of the the disparities in health outcomes, death rates amongst communities of color compared to the population generally. And again, as as Phil and I always say, and as we, we hear often in the black community, when America gets the gets the cold, black America gets the flu. So so definitely important in this time of COVID. Um, as it relates to George Floyd, you know, um, what we're working on at Apis and Heritage and the Democracy at Work Institute is really, really dealing with some of the economic injustices and what some people would call economic violence. You know, you look at situations like Tulsa and Rosewood that take place in this, this country, um, which is distinct, really distinct from issues of, you know, police violence against people of color, Black people specifically, you know, animus towards people of color. And, and we really want, you know, tip our hats to those organizers and organizations out there that have been dealing directly on the front lines of that. You know, by creating more wealth in communities of color, we won't necessarily, or we won't be dealing with specific issues of, of violence, physical violence against people of color. Um, but we do think we can help with some of the economic um, inequality and economic violence that has been taking place uh, against communities of color. I've seen some of the statistics um... Black-owned businesses are being hurt much more than small businesses in general, which, you know, are, are all suffering. So here's, here's a question I've had, though. Is there a risk in transferring ownership to employees now when the outlook for so many businesses is so uncertain? So how do you mitigate that risk? So this is Phil. Um, and thanks for the question. I think it's a, I think it's a good one. Um, one way we think about it is... There's always inherent business risk. But for us, we think employee ownership, particularly when you look at some of the, the benefits of a of an ESOP, may actually shore up uh, companies in times like these. You think about an ESOP and you think about a business, a lot of cash is outlaid, set aside for taxes. Not having to pay those taxes gives a business cash to reinvest in growth or to um, shore up their own balance sheet for times exactly like this. Additionally, if you think about the idea of what we propose, really democratic participatory uh, ESOPs, the idea is, can we engage the employees and align them well um, with the fact that if the firm is performing, employees can benefit from the upside. And so uh, studies by Rutgers and others have shown that employee-owned firms tend to outperform their peers in revenue growth, employer retention, strategy, and it just sort of creates a, it, it builds a bit of a moat around a company uh, that can protect folks in a downturn. And then finally, um, particularly with, with ESOP specifically, whenever you're thinking about a transition of a business, whether it's private equity, strategic, there's always this risk of quote unquote overpaying. So valuing a business more than it's actually worth. In the case of an ESOP, because there is it's a regulated transaction, 40 years of history in the structure, by the way, there are third-party valuations, and that, that helps to mitigate that risk. And so employees aren't, aren't really left with limits, if you will. In case some of our listeners may not be familiar with some of the terms like ESOPs, um, can you just briefly go through the different types of employee ownerships, um, ESOPs being one of them? Um, but can you explain that term? And, and there are a couple of other basic ways that employees can become owners. Yeah, Todd here w would love to. And, and as you were saying, I mean, there's a, a wide range of employee ownership structures 
the ESOP, the one we're referring to, and the model that we're employing most often, really you would call what we're employing more of a, a ESOPERative, which is a combination of the, the ESOP, the structures of the ESOP, the legal benefits, the tax benefits, um, the structural benefits of an ESOP mixed with the democratic governance and, and participatory management and open book management practices um, often employed by, by co-ops. But yeah, the ESOP stands for Employee Stock Ownership Plan. It is really the, the short and simple version is it's like a 401k plan that invests in company stock. And it's probably one of the longest standing employee ownership structures in the in the kind of the legal code and the tax code today. The other form or one of the, the other most well-known forms of employee ownership is is the cooperative. Um, and I'll take this moment to, to give a shout out to the U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives, who is a partner of Apison Heritage and the Democracy at Work Institute. Um, and the cooperative is a is a structure often utilized by smaller firms that may find the cost of going to an employee stock ownership plan and some of you know the third party trustee the valuation to be a little bit more expensive. Um, and cooperatives work off of again these democratic principles: uh, one worker, one vote. You know, sharing of the wealth, making sure that you know the employees are are centered in the outcomes of the firm and the goals of the firm. And again, the the what we use is a, a mix between the ESOP um, and the, the co-op. Um, there's also something called the Employee Ownership Trust, which is another hybrid form, uh, which began in the UK that is gaining more and more prominence here in the US um, as well. And just to be clear, typically there is some funding, right? It's not like employees have to suddenly, you know, buy the company out of their own pockets overnight, right? Absolutely. Employees aren't asked to sort of invest in the transaction the way we're proposing. And you're actually getting onto a point of why it's so hard uh, for firms to sort of make this, this leap. Typically, to help finance that, you as an owner are required to almost self-loan to the company. And a lot of owners, frankly, just they don't have the financial capability to do that, particularly in communities of color. And so for us, the reason why there, I mean, there are 6,600 ESOPs in America, but there could be so many more, but there's just so many barriers and, and, and you're hitting on one of them. And for us, if we are able to create a structure, create a vehicle that allows more business owners to take advantage of this, particularly for owners that have workforces of color, then we're able to build the sort of ESOPeratives that we think can drive change writ large in communities and uh, deliver quality returns uh, for impact investors. Can you give us some examples of maybe companies that you're working with or talking to who might go through a process like this and, and what that might look like? The foundation for us is finding really high quality, durable small businesses. And, and one sector that's been really attractive to us is, is landscaping. And so from, a, from an impact side, it's a sector that we know over indexes for minorities and immigrants, which is a, a major uh, group that we're trying to impact through our work. And then if you put your, your investor, your business hat on, it's a really, so grass is always going to grow. It's a really, it's not recession proof, but it, it's, it's, it's recession resistant. And so throughout COVID, landscaping has been deemed essential. Um, and so for us, it's a target area and one that we think gets to, again, that balance of quality investments and impact for the right communities. If you can go, go into a little bit more detail, if, if you think you can, on, on high level on some of the transactions we're working with. Sure. So um, one is called uh, Project Gulf, and it's a, a landscaper in uh, Louisiana. And what makes it so compelling is they have 
I think about 60 employees, probably about 70% of them are people of color. And this business is led by an owner who's looking to move on, but built an amazing enterprise. They give back to the community. They cut veterans' homes for free. They do uh, a lot of charity work. And, and this, this owner really appreciates and values employees. So breakfast every day and things like that. And so we came in and said, hey, you're leading. You kind of have this employee first mentality. Why don't we take it to the next level through our process of operative conversion? And, and it's been attractive and well-received. And so we're in the early stages of due diligence um, on, on that, on that on transaction. Thank you both very much for joining us today and best wishes to you. Um, I, you know, ownership is so important. So um, wish you uh, best of luck with this. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amy. Now it's time for this week's Agent of Impact. Dennis, who do we have? Brian, this week we're featuring Helen Adeyasin, CEO of Care Academy. As you mentioned at the top of the podcast, Care Academy just raised $9.5 million to train and upskill the next generation of home care workers via its online platform of classes and certifications. Keisha Cash of Impact America Fund, who led the round, said this week at a conference that the company is being built around the value of the direct care worker. I spoke earlier with Adeyasin, and this is how she described it. The reason Care Academy exists is that there was such a disconnect between um, the expectations and also the acknowledgement of the skill sets of the direct care worker. So our opportunity as a company is to recognize those skills, um, amplify those skills, and to build on top of that skills that the market then appreciates. Um, it is our belief- Care Academy is serving what's being called the care economy, which is booming. As the population 65 and older grows, and increasingly people want to grow old at home, that home healthcare market is set to grow 8% annually through 2027. COVID, of course, has put a spotlight on the essential value of caregivers to the elderly and to, and to society, frankly. Um, as the pandemic spread, Care Academy popped up an online course offering COVID training and certification. It's been viewed something like 80,000 times. Care Academy's evidence-based courses save home care agencies millions in training costs. Um, they've helped over 110,000 caregivers deliver better services that improve the lives of the elderly while helping them move up the career ladder and throughout their lifetime. For Adeyasin, spotting overlooked value runs in the family. reminder that I'm, I'm actually a third-generation female entrepreneur, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I come from a long line, a successive line of women who have tapped into their communities and tapped into their own skill sets and built you know, um, built companies that did well within their, you know, um, within their respective settings. My With Care Academy, Adeyasin and co-founder Maduri Reddy are tapping a huge market opportunity by unlocking untapped potential in home care professionals. Home care workers have always been essential workers. Mm. That has always been essential work. We're not training them for new skills. We're enhancing skills that they are already doing. And for that, Helen Adeyasin is this week's Agent of Impact. Thanks, Dennis. And thanks to Helen for all that you're doing. You can see Helen and all of our Agents of Impact on Instagram, at Impact Alpha. That's it for your Impact Briefing this week. You can read more about all of these stories at impactalpha.com. Thank you for listening. And thanks to Amy Cortez and Dennis Price. And of course, our producer, Isaac Silk who also wrote our theme song.
I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company Liquinet. Make sure you check back next week for the latest impact investing news. Until then, take care.